Welcome to your commercial-free, uninterrupted investment show. Sponsored by the SEC-registered investment firm, Wilsey Asset Management, a fiduciary firm owned and operated by President Brent Wilsey, who has been putting clients' investment needs first for over 40 years. The Smart Investing Show has been giving unbiased financial information for over 27 years on local radio stations right here in San Diego, providing you with fundamental analysis on stocks and investments you want to know about. Now, here are your hosts, Brent and Chase Woolsey. Well, hello and welcome to Smart Investing Show. I'm Brent Wilsey, president of Wilsey Asset Management. Great to have you here with us today. We got a great show lined up, a lot of great information. Going to talk about yesterday on Friday, the employment situation came out, the jobs report. This just blew things away. We'll talk about that. Uh, job openings, which is related to the employment situation. Going to talk about investment grade debt, a big boost on that. Numbers we've not seen in a long, long time. We'll talk what is going on with that. And then also, too, there's a big, uh, big amount of cash uh, sitting on the sidelines. We're talking trillions of dollars. We'll explain more on that when we get to uh, liquid, liquid cash, we'll call it. And uh, with me is uh, Chase Wilsey. Chase, what do you got? Well, today, uh, you know, we're, we're going to take a closer look here to a few different companies. And first one we're going to look at is uh, IBM. You know, everybody always talks about how exciting big tech is. And, you know, if you've listened to the show before, you know we're not big fans of, you know, the, the Magnificent Seven and the big tech that everybody's chasing. I would say IBM is boring big tech. <laughs> so I, I'm curious if the numbers here are good. I know they reported earnings here recently. I believe they had a decent report. Uh, you know, valuations in the past looked pretty good. So I, I'm excited to take a look at IBM and, and see if they're able to benefit from this artificial intelligence wave. Also, too, we're going to take a closer look here at Sphere Entertainment. You might be saying, what the heck is that? Have you been in Las Vegas? It's that giant circle looking thing or i guess fear looking thing they actually are a public company so we want to break down the numbers for them and also to tilray tilray is a marijuana company years ago gosh they were very very popular and they just went up in smoke to say the least so we're going to break down those three companies as always look through those fundamentals valuation ratios the balance sheet and give you our opinion on, on what these companies look like and if they're potentially intriguing investment opportunities and i was going to say maybe with tilray you're going to say yep they've gone to pot but i guess that wouldn't work so yeah i, okay. yeah, I, I know my humor all right, uh, it's all right. <laughs> <laughs> well let's talk about the employment situation because it came out on friday the jobs report and you you've got to pay close attention because this was a huge surprise and the numbers for non-farm payroll just blew away expectations as they expanded by 300 and 53,000 jobs in the month of January. Now this easily topped the estimate for 185,000. Job growth was widespread as it grew in every major category except for mining and logging, which, well, they, they saw a decline of 6,000 in the month. Two areas that remained extremely strong were healthcare and social assistance, up 100.4 thousand jobs. Uh, professional businesses uh, and services, up 74,000 jobs. Other areas of strength also included retail trade, <clears throat> 45,000.2. Uh, government, up 36,000 jobs. I always hate to see that. He said the government adding people cost more money, but they did. And the manufacturing, another surprise here, 23,000. Now, the previous two months saw uh, upward revisions with an upward revision of 117,000 December and 9,000 more in November. I, I do want to go back to the government. The, the nice thing is, and I say nice thing, <laughs> is, you know, they were one of the last sectors to actually recover to their kind of pre-pandemic highs. So 
the, the fortunate thing is they haven't <clears throat> grown excessively, I would say. That's and, something to keep an eye on. And I do want to say it's not just the federal government. That's federal, state, municipalities, all, every every government job, not just the federal government. So I don't think it's just the federal government. Yeah, and and also, too, I mean, you already talked about how strong this report was. And it's kind of funny. It's like, well, was it too strong? There was some concern that maybe this report was too strong and that could have an impact on the Fed's rate cut path. The major concern on the inflation front came from average hourly wages, which jumped 4.5% and easily exceeded the forecast of 4.1%. Now, while this could have an impact on inflation, it's important to remember that data doesn't always move in a straight line. It, it's going to move up and down over time. We just want to make sure it's kind of trending lower and, again, decelerating. The other thing I wanted to point out was the average hours worked fell to 34.1 hours for a work week, which was down 0.2 hours compared to the previous month. And you got to think, think about that. That would have an impact on total labor costs. So yes, average hourly earnings went up, but maybe the total pay or the total cost employers didn't go up as much as that 4.5% due to less hours worked. I also have to say I was happy to see in a separate report that the employment cost index increased by just 0.9%, which was the smallest quarterly gain since the second quarter of 2021. Looking at year-on-year, labor costs increased 4.2% in Q4, which marked the smallest rise since Q4 of 2021. Overall, I think this report shouldn't throw a wrench in the idea of Fed, the Fed cutting rates in the back half of this year. But again, some people are going to panic and sell because they're looking short term. And yes, the Fed is not going to cut in March. I'm pretty darn confident of that. But I, I think back half the year, that's not off the table here. And a lot of things we're going to comment on that. But uh, before we get into the comments on the jobs report, uh, I do want to talk about job openings. And this comes out, I think it was out on Wednesday of last week, the JOLTS uh, Job Opening Labor Turnover Survey. survey. Uh, it is looking like the economy could navigate a pretty remarkable fee and decelerating inflation rates, growth in the economy, and a resilient labor market. And I did want to say on that growth in the economy, it, it, it is still limited. We're not booming here right. again. So we've got oh, those I, I do have to say, I heard somebody today predict uh, for 2024 GDP over 4%. I was surprised by that. That's a prediction. So. I, I'm speechless. <laughs> that, 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 that'd be pretty darn impressive if we were able to get there. But kind of going back to the point here we were looking at is those job openings. In the month of December, they did rise to $9 million, which easily topped the estimate at $8.7 million and marked a three-month high here. This is, again, well off the high of around $12 million that was achieved in 2022, but it's still a healthy level, level considering that pre-pandemic job openings, they were around $7 million. So, again, you got to stop comparing to, you know, I'm going to say 2022 in this, this fashion because that was such a weird labor market where people were still their jobs back. We were having job recoupment rather than job creation, essentially. And same thing with job opening. So, I mean, this is a strong labor market. And I continue to ask the question, I don't know, why can't we have a good labor market decelerating inflation and limited growth? I think that is achievable and people want to have it, you know, oh no, you, you can't have, you know, declining inflation and a strong jobs market. <laughs> I don't see why not. And I think we can. I, I, we said this last year, and people said, oh, no, we're going to have a recession and so forth. Didn't happen. We can have a strong jobs market, which we have. And when you look at and break it down, where are the jobs? The, the big jobs, 100,000 jobs in healthcare and social assistance. Uh, no surprise there because, again, the population is getting older. So I was happy to see that one. 
professional business of services, you know, 74,000 jobs. We have, you know, and people say, oh, but they're all low paying jobs. No, they are not healthcare. Uh, professional business services are high end. Manufacturing, you know, 23,000 increase. Those are also high end paying jobs. So pe- people keep thinking, oh, but it's in the service sector. And, but even, even, I mean, we know people that work in restaurants, you know, nice restaurants, and, and I think they make, they have what, they're 401k with us, Eighty, ninety thousand dollars a year. Some of these uh, servers are making now, correct? Yeah, I mean, you can make good money working in a restaurant. I mean, it, it's not easy work, but on your feet. But yeah, you, you can make decent money there now. Yeah, you, you, you don't have a lot of stress, I would imagine. I, I've, n- I've never been on server in my life. I, I went right into. I, I disagree. Yeah. I mean, there's there's stress. There's just different kinds of stress. You yeah, know? That's true. You're still working with people, and sometimes people are a pain in the butt. What? No, <laughs> not people. <laughs> you know? um, but I, we we've got a strong jobs market, and and I like too that the average hourly wages jump four and a half percent. That means people are making more money, and that exceeds what inflation is. And that's a big factor there because people can spend more because it's it's not it's not like an inflation is six or seven percent, you're increasing four. Uh, you're actually doing a little bit more than inflation. Well, the the thing I'm going to have to disagree with there is the fact that we need to be careful of not having exceeded inflation too much because then that's yeah. going to be a, a big issue with, with labor costs being too high and then passing that on to the consumer, and then you're in this circle of, of having inflation. And I, I wanted to point out as well, I also had here discussed the employment cost index, and this isn't from January. This is from Q4. But I like this reading much better than the average hourly earnings because it's much more encompassing. That report, the employment cost index, actually looks at wages and salaries, but also includes benefit costs. So it's a true kind of cost of empl- that employers pay for employees. And as I said, that increased about 4.2% in Q4. Wages and salaries, they were up 4.3% for the 12-month period in December 2023. But I mean, compare that to 2022, that was 5.1% for wages and salaries. And then benefit costs, they increased 3.8% year over year in December 2023 for Q4. That was up 4.9% in 2022. So we are still having growth in employment costs, mm-hmm. but it is decelerating. And I think we can have this kind of bouncing act, so to speak, where we're still having wage growth, we're still having benefit cost growth, but not too much to the point where it's like, oh my gosh, this is pressuring prices and consumers are going to feel the brunt of higher labor costs. And, and also to the average hourly uh, uh, hours work fell from 34.1 uh, to 34.1. Uh, is that workers saying I'm not going to work as much, or is that employers saying you know what I'm paying you more? Uh, you're more efficient. Maybe AI is coming in helping out people a little bit that they don't have to have people work as long. I'm not sure where that number came down or why it came down. Again, it was an employer, an employee that caused it. Yeah, and and that's again too why I do like this employment cost index much better because it looks at just everything rather than you got to balance like okay well how much did the actual cost of the employers get impacted by the average hourly increase because as you said you know if the hours work go down i mean what is the true cost of the employer and the other thing i looked at too this this week and these are some reports that aren't as talked about uh was productivity came out this week and this is the reason i think we can have a decelerating inflation rate a strong labor market, and still some decent growth. And that's if we can get productivity going in the other way. The issue is if you have not enough supply out there and too much demand, well, guess what happens? Inflation. Yeah. But if we're <clears throat> able to increase supply with productivity, that's where I think we can kind of be in this Goldilocks situation. And productivity this last week, it actually showed that uh, it increased 2.7% from a year ago 
and that was in Q4. So productivity growth, it wasn't booming in 2023. It averaged 1.2% for the full year, but it did contract in 1.9% in 2022. So we are getting back on the right path, getting that worker more productive to actually help stave off inflation is something that I think it needs to be followed very, very closely. And here's something for you to consider. Do you think that you workers become more productive because more people are going back to the office? Potentially. <laughs> I, I mean, it I is, think it would make a difference. I, we saw the correlation there with 2022. Yeah. And, and also, I think people got comfy, cozy working from home and all of a sudden productivity fell off quite, quite drastically. Yeah. I mean, that, that was a really, to be down 1.9% coming out of COVID, like that's not like we're in the middle of COVID. Right. We were coming out of COVID. So I, I think, you know, maybe getting people more back in the office and finding that right balance there for people, I, I think, will make us more productive. And I think that's where we can beat inflation and still have a strong labor market is if we can have that productivity come into play. And, and, and Chase, people say, how did you guys get it right last year? I mean, there, there was no recession. There were, they, you know, inflation did come down. A lot of it is a secret that we looked at was what's going on in the job market and also the JOLTS report. And I don't believe the mainstream media says anything about the JOLTS report. They just talk about the job situation. And, and the JOLTS report gives you a look into the future of how many opening jobs there are. So I, th- I believe for the average person, this is the only place you hear about JOLTS report. And it is such an important thing because it gives you, again, a look into the future of what that jobs market looks like now and in the future. Well, it's so funny because it's a lagging report, but it is so much future looking because it, as I said, this is for December rather than January is what we got the jolts numbers for. But, you know, nine million jobs aren't going to get filled in, <laughs> right. you know, two months. So we're good. <laughs> yeah. So very happy that jobs report uh, and, and the market did fall. Uh, when it's set on Thursday dramatically because of the fact that, oh my gosh, this means in, in Federal Reserve, uh, uh, Powell spoke, and as we've said, we're not gonna have any cut in, in March. It, we're, we're looking for mid-year, June or so, June, July. Maybe May. Maybe, Maybe. May. I, yeah, I, I think after what he said, uh, on I think it was Thursday, that's not gonna happen. But the market dropped dramatically because he virtually said, no, not gonna happen in March. Yeah. So uh, you, you've gotta kinda look at the, the data and, and not get too excited. And, and I think Wall Street said there'd be seven uh, cuts this year, no way, no yeah. way. We, we say three, maybe four is what we say. Yeah. Well, let's, let's move on here, talk about investment grade debt because I was surprised to learn that the amount of investment grade debt was $168 billion so far in the month of January. Um, I would think that these corporations would do everything they could to hold on to the second half of the year when rates should be lower. Now, investors actually have to go back 34 years to find this much debt issued in January. It makes me wonder, do they know something we don't? And maybe rates won't be falling. I still remain very confident, as we just said, that rates will be falling. And, you know, I was thinking, uh, obviously, it's, I don't want to say it's a little skewed, but, you know, as things get more expensive, obviously, you're going to need to issue more debt because the, the value of the dollar has, you know, kind of diminished right. somewhat. So, obviously, things are more expensive. You need more debt. It, it is going to kind of increase, and it should increase over time. Uh, that was crazy to me that 34 years ago, they raised that uh, that was a lot of debt because Back of inflation. <laughs> See, that, that would have been, what, uh, 1990. Yeah, yeah 1990. That's, that's crazy. 1990 was booming. I remember yeah. 1990 was, was a booming time frame. Uh, but what I think it also shows, too, 
that corporations are very comfortable borrowing money that they see a good future going forward. Because if they were worried about the future in the economy, they would not be taking on this kind of debt. And as said, we do expect rates to be lower in the second half of the year. They don't care. Like, no, we need this money now because we need to expand and grow. Well, one thing just kind of, I don't want to say playing devil's advocate, but understanding the business is I don't think long-term rates are going to be much lower. So it yeah. depends where they're borrowing at on the yield curve. If they are needing kind of, you know, a, a one-year, two-year loan, I would think, yeah, to, to wait six months would make some sense because we think rates on that part of the curve should be lower. But, I mean, if they're borrowing out 10, 15, 20 years, I don't think they're going to get much more of a bargain if they, they do wait six months. Yeah, and that's a great point because generally when corporations borrow, they usually do go out five, ten years. Yeah. Uh, only would they borrow in the short term for just a, a quick need or a bridge loan or something of that nature. So that, that's a good point, Chase. Uh, let's move on and talk about another thing here about the liquid cash. There's a lot of cash out there. As of the third quarter of 2023, cash in money markets, NCDs, has reached an all-time high of $8.8 trillion. Now, the last peak for CDs and money markets was reached back in 2008 when it climbed above $6 trillion. Now, at U.S. lenders, total deposits uh, were $17.4 trillion from the peak of $18.2 trillion. So they, they came down, but when you combine the two, you have around $26 trillion in liquid money. Yeah, I mean, it's a lot of money out there. And the big question is, as rates fall, where will this money go and how much will be transferred to long-term investments like real estate and equities? I don't believe we will see much action here until probably the last quarter of 2024 and even more likely happening in 2025. However, as an investor, I would rather be investing early than late because that will hurt your long-term returns. I think investing in the right equities on sale over the next six months will provide good returns when you look at your portfolio come December 31st. This sounds weird, but of 2025. <laughs> yeah, and this is the hard part as an investor. You don't want to be looking at, where's my portfolio going to be, you know, I'm going to say July 1st, 2024. It could be up, it could be down. Yep. We need to look longer term as investors, and, and this is, I think, it, it blows me away how much liquidity is out there. And as you said, we've talked about this a lot, but money markets come down from 5% to 3%. All some people say, whoa, wait a minute. I think this is why we think it's going to be beginning in 2025. It's going to take some time for people to see like, oh my gosh, I'm not making as much as I was. And that's what's so important because <clears throat> last year, the end of the year, I was looking at, okay, 2024, confident 2024 for our portfolio will be a good year for us. But I was kind of foggy about, okay, well, 2025, could we have a recession then? Could we have a slowdown? Maybe it won't be so good. When I see $26 trillion of liquid money, you add on top of that the $16 trillion of equity in people's homes, you're now talking, what, $42 trillion? If people just spend 10% of that, that's $4 trillion going in the economy, either investing, uh, remodeling homes, buying cars, boats, who, whatever it may be. I mean, there's a lot of money. So I see no chance at all of a recession over the next two years unless some crazy black swan happens. Yeah, I mean, I, the only thing I disagree with there is just potentially uh, uh, recessions sometimes aren't bad. All it is is two quarters of declining GDP. I mean, you, you could you have- You said uh, aren't bad. Yeah, are right. not bad. Right. I mean, there are some, obviously, like 2008, 2009, <laughs> that are very difficult. But sometimes, you know, you could have two quarters where it's like, ah, GDP fell, you know, half percent, then one percent. It, it wasn't detrimental to the economy and kind of just took a break. That's the only type of recession that I could potentially foresee. But I would agree. I, I do tend to believe that I don't even think we'll have one. 
Yeah, yeah. And, and I and I just don't see how we're going to have negative GDP at any quarter. I mean, in, in, unless something really strange, unless inventory, because many times yep. we talk about inventory, you have a big buildup. Uh, oh, well, we got too much, so we'll back off. So things can change, but for two quarters, I, 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 I'm just feeling. And again, that's one thing, too, is you can make predictions, but the data changes every day. And that's why you've got to get the newsletter. That's why you've got to tune in the, the radio show, because we keep you posted, because we may something, say something now, and if you just don't do anything else you just say well i won't listen to 2026 you're going to miss things because yeah. things can change and we 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 correct ourselves if things do change to keep people informed uh if you like the newsletter this comes from our newsletter you can sign up for free <clears throat> go to our website smartinvesting2000.com that's smartinvesting2000.com other topics you'll see law firms and personal injury what they're doing to the economy i will say uh, home buyers some positive news there about to the big guys uh, changing jobs, union workers. I mean, great things there. People love the newsletter. It is free. It goes out every Friday at 5 o'clock. Uh, again, go to our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That, again, is smartinvesting2000.com. And also, too, right, I know we got to go to Harrison, but we haven't brought it up yet. I don't think we talked about the workshop, did we already? Oh, gosh, yes. We did not talk about it. Thank you for reminding me of that because it is is it this coming Thursday? Yes, yes this, yes, coming, this Thursday. coming Thursday. Yeah, so if, if you want to learn why we are value investors and have been for many years, the key to successful long-term investing and our investment philosophy, exactly how we invest and manage our money at Will System Management, you get to come to this exclusive workshop Thursday, February 8th at uh, 6 p.m. at Scripps Ranch. You have to sign up for it. Go to our website, smartinvesting2000.com. Again, that's Smart Investing. 2000.com. Great information. Love to see you there again Thursday, February 8th at uh, 6 p.m. Scripps Ranch. A lot of parking, too, and it is for exclusive people. So hopefully to see you there. All righty. Well, let's talk to our financial planner, uh, Harrison Johnson. Harrison, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, guys. How are you doing? Well, I was doing good till I saw your topic. One that I don't <laughs> like, tax filing. Gosh, is that time for taxes already? It is. With tax season coming up, it's helpful to review your tax return before you actually go ahead and file to see if you can catch any potential mistakes that stick out. So some of the most common errors that we see include misreporting 1099Rs, missing rental expenses, incorrectly reporting capital gains, and missing IRA contributions. So anytime money leaves a retirement account, a 1099R is generated, even with Roth accounts. However, just because a 1099-R is generated does not necessarily mean the distribution is taxable. Roth withdrawals and more commonly rollovers to other retirement accounts are not taxable. But we've seen cases where a non-taxable distribution is reported as income due to the receipt of a 1099. So if you had any retirement account distributions last year in 2023, make sure you're only paying for taxable withdrawals. When we look at rental properties, it's common to have insurance, property taxes, interest, HOA or management fees, and depreciation all listed as expenses. So if any of these are missing or seem low after taking a look at your Schedule E, it may be necessary to go back and recount all your rental expenses to confirm you are receiving all your possible deductions. Next, when selling assets like a business or a property, there's no 1099 generated, so it's helpful to double check how a taxable sale is reported, and that's on your Schedule D. We've seen cases where sales are reported as a short-term gain instead of a long-term gain, which can result in 
substantially more taxes. And then lastly, if you have any contributions to pre-tax retirement accounts like an IRA or a SEP, be sure that those contributions are reported and deductible. So when making a contribution to an IRA, a form 5498 gets generated, but for whatever reason, this form isn't available until after taxes are due. This means you have to remember to report the contribution because there will not be a tax form showing it. So there's lots of possible errors or omissions when filing a tax return, but these are some of the more common ones to keep an out for as we go into tax season. And Harrison, this kind of, and this is what you do on the financial planning side. And I know, unfortunately, people go to financial planners and all they do is maybe sell them annuity or they put them into some mutual funds. I mean, you go into depth to help people on their taxes, thinks about these things. I mean, you really do so many more things than just putting people into a mutual fund. I mean, on, on, you're right, Brent. On, on some sides, you know, there's the tax planning aspect of it, which is, you know, what can we do um, beforehand to make sure that your tax bill is low as possible? But then there's cases like this where we have to look at last year and make sure that everything is correct. So I've seen errors like these, you know, when people do their own taxes or if they have a CPA or an enrolled agent or something filing for them, um, you know, no matter who's doing it, there's sometimes where things just aren't put in the right way to whatever software you're using, and it can result in, you know, a big discrepancy in the tax bill that you're actually due. So, you know, taking the time to go and review that is really helpful because, you know, there could be, I mean, I had a case last year where someone called me frantically and said that they uh, they owe $300,000 in taxes, and so I, I had them send me their tax return, and, you know, something was reported wrong, and all we had to do was correct that, and it saved them that that tax where they're ready to start liquidating assets and you know borrow money to pay this tax bill so you really want to you know double check and make sure everything looks good before you actually go ahead and file and, and Harrison, this is why it's so important to go to someone like yourself a fee-based financial planner because you're not trying to sell something worried about a commission you're looking at the taxes and saying here's something else that i saw for you to help on your financial plan it's so important to understand that with a fee-based financial planner yeah, with these things that we're talking about, there's nothing that you can sell or buy that fixes the issue. You just have to be aware of how they work so, you know, you avoid those mistakes. And that's that's the angle that I can come at it. Um, I don't have any bias one way or the other. You know, whatever makes sense is what uh, what we'll do. Right. Yeah, and then one other thing real quick, too, is just, you know, people oftentimes forget this. There's not much you can do about your taxes now that 2023 is over, but you mentioned the SEP contributions and IRA contributions. You can still make those, obviously, what is it, before April 15th or something to help with your 2023 taxes. You can still do those. And another point to add on to that is you can make the contribution, but you also want to confirm if it's going to be deductible. So in the case, like with a traditional IRA, you can always make a contribution as long as you have earned income, but if you have earned income that's too high and you have access to a retirement plan at work, the contribution that you're making might not be deductible, which in that case you might want not want to do it. So you have until April 15th, but you know whether you should do it or not is you know based on your, your income situation. Great. Well, Harrison, thank you very much. I appreciate it, and uh, we'll see you on Monday. Thanks, guys. We'll see you Monday. Okay. Again, that's Harrison Johnson, uh, CFP, works at the Wilsey Asset Management. You can get a free consultation with him. And again, you hear him talk here. You want more information, take advantage of that free consultation. Give him a call at the office, 858 224 0004. Again, that's 858 
424-0004 or go to the website smartinvesting2000.com. Again, that's smartinvesting2000.com. Sign up for the free consultation. You will see them and it'll give you some great information. Yeah, and while we're heading to break, I just want to remind people yes. one more time, we have that Smart Investing Workshop coming up next Thursday, February 8th. Be at our offices in Scripps Ranch at 6 p.m. And again, we're going to be talking about our value investing strategy, why we do value investing, and, and again, how it helps us long term. We'll be right back after this break. All righty, welcome back to the Smart Investing Show. We want to get right back into it because we got a little bit, uh, a little bit winded, I guess, in the first half. We didn't get to any companies, so we want to get into that right now. And uh, Chase, I think you said first uh, IBM. Uh, we're going to talk about first, so let's jump to that right away. Symbol is obviously IBM. Now, what happened with IBM is uh, uh, their AI work orders doubled from September to December, and the 113-year-old company. Uh, well, they 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 said they're projecting. For 2024, free cash flow, free cash flow, of 12 billion dollars. I mean, that's huge. I mean, that's, that's that's a big thing. This company has really turned around. We'll give you more numbers. So let, let's go over the numbers for you. Because this is a time to maybe invest in this old company that didn't do nothing for years. Have things changed? They are in the information technology services. Only 2.7 percent short on the stock. I'm surprised on this. Only 59 percent is held by institutions. We do see a PE ratio right now of 22.8, below the industry at 63.4. Price to sales, 2.8. That's above the industry at 2. And then price to book value is on the high side, 7.5 versus 4.2. Price to cash flow does look good, though, 12.3 versus 15.7. The peg ratio, not great, 7.5, but it is better than the industry at 9.6. Now, their earnings did jump 297%. However, sales only climbed 1.1%. They have a five-year estimated growth rate of 2.8% well below the industry growth rate at 7.2. They do pay a nice dividend at 3.6%, uh, using 87% of their earnings to pay that out. Uh, look at the balance sheet, current ratio 0.9, below the industry at 1.5. Debt to equity is on the high side, 2.5 versus one. And I do see a net profit margin of 11.3, well above the industry at 1.9, and return to equity, very good, 30 versus 16.6. Chase, what do you got? Yeah, just kind of interesting on that debt to equity. I mean, you mentioned the $12 billion in free cash flow. I'd hate for a lot of that free cash flow to, you know, be going to have to pay off debt rather than back to shareholders, essentially. So I'm going to look at that balance sheet while you're going to balance your numbers real quick. Yeah, and, and the, the big thing we look at here, too, is, you know, the, their yield, the dividend yield is kind of helpful to have that free cash flow. But current price for IBM, again, International Business Machines Corporation. That is their real name. I always forget what it stands for. Everybody just calls them <laughs> IBM. But $185.79. I see the 52-week low here is $120.55. And the high, $196.90. I see over the last year, it's actually up 36.2%. Year to date, I think, again, they reported some good earnings. They're up 14%. But this is kind of what you're talking about. It's been dead money, essentially. For 10 years, the stock is up just 10%. So wow. it hasn't really gone anywhere. Uh, looking, kind of going forward, I, I, I'm going to say I'm disappointed. I go out to December 2025. I see estimated earnings per share here of $10.65. It gives us a target sell price of actually $176.79. So below the current price here, you're going to have $185.79. And you're not getting much earnings growth. So even though they're kind of, again, talking about this increase in AI, 
earnings growth is only estimated to grow about 4.8% this year and then just 5.7% next year. So you're kind of at an expensive multiple and not getting great growth. I, I, I'm not excited about IBM. I'm going to say that. Yeah, and I'm kind of disappointed because I thought maybe this old company kind of turned things around. I mean, their stock is up, what, uh, 50%, I think you said, just on the short term here. I did take a quick peek at the balance sheet. Uh, unfortunately, not great news there. I mean, their intangible assets and goodwill, well, they total, what, $70 billion. Uh, the debt, when I looked at the long-term debt, that's $51 billion. Uh, back in March 2022, it was $48 billion, so they are adding more debt as they go along. And the equity of the company is $23 billion, and that, that is up nicely from March 22, about $19 billion. But I, I, I was hoping to find better things here, and that's why I wanted to share it with people. And, and we pick these companies out. We don't know what it is until we see it. So you, we're learning right along with you as we give these numbers out. And I, I remember years ago, the valuations looked pretty good on IBM. And I was like, ah, oh, I mean, it's a good value company. But the balance sheet has always kind of been questionable. Yes. And I, I'd be very curious on those debt maturities. When are they coming due? I mean, that, that could be you know problematic. As I said, a lot of that cash flow could be going to needing that liquidity for debt maturities, or they're going to have to refinance at what will likely be higher rates than what's on the balance sheet. So I... I I said, I don't know if there's anything I really like about IBM, unfortunately. <laughs> I, I guess I'll say congratulations, IBM, in a good quarter, but that could be a one-time hit. Maybe they'll surprise going forward, but I, I, I just can't give people a reason to say, yes, look at IBM to invest into it because I think it could be dead money like it was for many years. Maybe for the next year or so, it could be dead money. So uh, be careful of uh, IBM. We're not recommending that you do that as a buy. Uh, do you want to talk about the workshop? Because this is what you're going to learn when you come to the workshop. It's a great place to learn about the fundamentals on investing and the strategies we use to find good value investments, how to invest in a volatile market, investing to build wealth, and get to retirement. Now, this exclusive workshop is February 8th at 6 p.m. You can register at our website, smartinvesting2000.com. Again, that's smartinvesting2000.com. It's a free workshop. Uh, love to see you there. It is this Thursday. Again, I can't believe it's here already. Thursday, February 8th at 6 o'clock in Scripps. So, yeah, no, looking forward to it. All right. Uh, I'm kind of excited about this next one, too. I I'm, I'm, I'm hope we're not disappointed on this one, too. But uh, uh, Sphere, and, and if you've been to Vegas, and I went there, that thing is huge. I don't, I don't know if you – have you been to Vegas since that's been I up? I think – I think I saw it under construction, but I didn't really know what it was, and I, I was just kind of looking online because I knew we were talking about it, and it thing looks crazy, <laughs> you know. Yeah. I mean, wow! I mean, it, and crazy good, like it's it's impressive. And, and what's so exciting is that you get to hold or own a piece of something that is, you know, part of Vegas that is just so exciting. But you got to make sure the numbers look good on it. So let's take a look at the Sphere. Uh, their symbol is S. PHR, then the entertainment industry, not a good start. Then the short uh, ratio is 29.5%. But here's something that is great, though. Uh, PE ratio is only 4.3 versus 12.1. Price of sales, 2.2 versus 2.7. Price to tangible book value, 0.6 versus non-material in the entertainment industry. It means you're paying six cents on the or 60 cents on the dollar for the uh, tangible book value of this company. Price of cash flow, 8.9 versus 13. So the valuation ratios actually look pretty attractive here on Sphere. Uh, as far as the earnings go, there are no earnings on this company. The sales, well, they were down 70.9%. So that's not a good thing. But again, they're just getting this thing up and going. Uh, no dividend. 
Uh, balance sheet, very important with this. We've got a current ratio of 1.1 versus 0.8. That's a positive. Debt to equity is only 0.5 versus 0.7. That's also a positive. Look at the net profit margin. Well, here it shows 108% versus one for the industry. Return to equity is 23.3 versus 7.4. So I, I like that. I'm afraid to say what you're going to say on the numbers going forward, but uh, we got to listen. What do you got? Well, and first of all, I did want to say, obviously, we know about the Sphere, and they have that one in Vegas. They are talking, I guess, about having developments of other spheres around the world. But the company, surprised by this, also owns MSG Networks, which uh, Madison Square Garden Networks, oh. uh, which has been a pioneer in regional sports television, you know, uh, for, gosh, more than 50 years, actually, it looks like. Um, I I don't know how successful that part of the business is, and obviously the sphere is just kind of up and running now, so would want to understand, well, how much does MSG really contribute to the business? Is that a growing or, or essentially dying business, I'm going to say? Uh, that's, again, something that I didn't know Sphere owned, and I was very surprised. there uh, In Barron's, there was two value investors, which, again, we like, right. recommending Sphere Entertainment. Really? So I, I was quite surprised by that. Right. It could be the valuations. They look right. pretty good. They do. And, and I'll give you here the current price for Sphere Entertainment, $35.41, 52 below, $20.69, and the high, well, it's $43.93. I see over the last one year, the stock's actually up, uh, gosh, about, what is that? Uh, looks like about 27%. Uh, hasn't really done well, I guess, since it came about, actually back in 2020, it looks like when it went public, it's a, it's actually still down a little bit from its IPO, it appears. But going forward for, again, Sphere Entertainment, their ticker symbol is SPHR. I, I go out to June 2025, I see estimated earnings per share of $3.70. Actually gives us a target sell price of $115. I'm sorry, hit the wrong button. I'm not that good at the math. $61.42 is actually the target sell price that we get compared to $35.41. So, I mean, the valuations are good. It trades at a forward PE of about 9.8 times. I will point out, though, there's just two analysts on this. <laughs> and the variability is extremely large. The low is $0.19 cents and the high, $7.20. So, you are kind of on your own here evaluating this business. And actually, we do look at two different things on the, the numbers going forward to be on the safe side. What I'm looking at is different for June 2025. They're showing earnings of 15 cents on three analysts, and one analyst says they're going to lose $3.26. So this is really way all, all over the board. Let you know about the company. They make a large part of the revenue from advertising, uh, with companies paying as much as $600,000 a week to be outside the sphere. Uh, they also do concerts inside. But I am thinking, as things are changing the advertising world, uh, and there's a lot of people go to Vegas, this is like a, 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 a very impressive billboard is what this actually is. I was going to say a yeah, very impressive billboard. The other consideration I have for it is do they own the land that this oh, sphere is point. on? Because we know Vegas real estate can be uh, very valuable. So, I mean, yeah. if they own that land there, I, that could be a justification for looking at the value of that company because the land could be worth, you know, what the market cap is essentially. So, you know, there's a lot of considerations here. Frankly, it's something that I'd probably still stay away from just without having more numbers, more analysis out there. It's still, I think, a little bit too risky of an investment for what we're looking for. Yeah, it's on the risky side. Could be something there. I do wonder, sometimes companies do give you something special in your share uh, holder. 
maybe you buy 100 shares, you go out there like, hey, I have 100 shares of this, can I get in for free? I don't know, probably not. But. Yeah, not free. Maybe <laughs> yeah. maybe they'll give you a 2% discount. Or they'll say, no, buddy, back to the line. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> but it's just like, I, I think it could be something big, especially not just for the one in Vegas, but if they are expanding those. You, you know, one thing I did not see, Chase, I don't know if you ever saw it, uh, what it cost to build that thing. Oh, I got to I, I have no idea. It's, it's got to be the depreciation on that. Expensive. <laughs> yeah, so. Well, that's that's uh, Las Vegas Fair. So again, it could be a fun investment, but we just don't think it'd be a. It doesn't a safe say what one. we do. Yeah. 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 So, well, well, uh, uh, again, we want to talk about the workshop because it's coming up rather quickly. It's going to be February eighth at six p.m. Uh, learn why value investing works best long term. Why financial analysis can reduce your emotional roller coaster and how we build portfolios for all kinds of markets. It is an exclusive workshop. It is Thursday, February 8th at 6 p.m. Sign up, it is free, at our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. If you'd like to call to make reservations, you can call Allison at uh, 858-224-0004. Again, that's 858-224-0004. Uh, hit the uh, button for uh, Allison, and she'll get you signed up there. So, all right. Is it time to talk real estate here? Is uh, is our real estate uh, ready to go or no? Can we do another company? Is he ready? All right. Well, well you ready to talk real, real estate? I'm, I'm ready to talk some okay. real estate. All right. Well, well let's go to uh, Robert Behek, who is uh, with Countywide Mortgage Lending. Robert, you with us? Of course I am. Good morning. Uh, well, we're so glad that you're there with us. Uh, I like the topic today, prepping to buy a home. The four steps you need to know. I like when there's certain steps because I'm a very methodical person. Steps really make me feel good. I feel very comfortable following steps. What are they? So hugely important to get uh, pre-approved versus pre-qualified. And what's the difference between that? Pre-approved is actually going through the process ahead of time, getting all your paperwork put together, having your credit pulled, uh, that's literally step two is having your credit pulled in it and us looking through it and analyzing it. When you apply for a car loan or a credit card, it's completely different. Your credit score is not going to be the same as you pull on one of those either credit cards or credit simulators when you go to apply for a mortgage. So don't wait till last minute. You found the house of your dreams and you're ready to make an offer or you've already made an offer, which happens quite often, unfortunately. <laughs> and then we have to go, hey, guys, your credit is not quite where it's supposed to be. Um, step three, don't buy anything. When Once you're going through this process and you're getting ready to uh, buy a property, don't uh, take the President's Day sale and go, you know what, this is a great time to get a couple of sofas and a refrigerator. Wait, I know it's tough, but there are more holidays coming and there will be more sales coming. Uh, please do not apply for credit when you're going through a process. And then last but not least, don't move money around. This is a very common mistake that buyers do where they'll take and they'll transfer monies around and it just makes a lot more work for everybody having to track it all down because I've got to count for every penny. So large deposits especially. And, and then Robert, now when people come, because these, did you go all four, four are we missing one step? I thought I heard. You I got hear? four. You got four, okay. So when somebody comes to you and say, Robert, 
you know, looking at buying a home, do you lay these steps out ahead of time and people just don't listen to you? Or do, you know, I mean, what, what happens here in the process? So if you come to us and you tell us you're going to buy a home, absolutely. We go through this and we at nauseum, we'll do this 12, 13 times because folks forget it's exciting. It's emotional, but the reality is, You've got six months ahead of time is really the optimum time to get in because we can get you a much, much lower interest rate if we can optimize these things. Sometimes uh, folks owe a little bit more on their credit cards. We just came out of the holidays. It's uh, one of those things. So we'll tell you which ones to pay down by how much just to get your score up a few points, and it can make all the difference in the world. You know, it's so funny. You kind of alluded to it, but I, I remember, you know, years ago I was buying a car and, you know, Brent actually told me he's like, shop the rate before you buy the car because then it gives you more power essentially going into to knowing what, what you can buy. And it, it is so emotional where people, again, they go in and they're like, oh, I just want to buy this. And, you know, it, it's kind of the same thing here. You want to understand <laughs> what you can afford first. And it, it sounds like obviously going through the mortgage process before even kind of looking to buy something is, is such an important step for people. We're right up there with the uh, losing weight and buying a home <laughs> as far as, uh, you know, New Year's resolution goals. And, yeah, it is time to get that part started. So, so Robert, when should somebody think about this? Like, uh, should they talk to you and, like, yeah, we're kind of thinking of buying a home? Or should they call you when, like, okay, we're going to go looking tomorrow for homes? When should people call and talk to you and have that conversation? If they're thinking about doing it this year, we should have a conversation sooner than later. And literally, if you do it six months or before is the optimum time because it gives us enough time to do the things to get you the best interest rates there are in the market. So don't wait until the day before. If you're thinking about doing it, give me a call. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I'm sure you'd still try and help, but I don't think you can help as much. It, and we do. We we run that fire drill every day. But uh, it, it's unfortunate because I look at these, a lot of them are kids, uh, your age, Chase, and I, I go, gosh, guys, you know, it, finances are taught at home, not at school. That's why they need to attend your seminar next Thursday. <laughs> and, uh, you know, just we can help them so much more if they would just think about it a little bit ahead of time. Great. Well, Robert, thank you very much. Uh, and how can people get a hold of you? Our uh, website is countywidemtg.com, countywidemtg.com. And our phone number here at the office is 760-443-3821. Great. Well, Robert, thank you very much. We appreciate the uh, information today, and we'll talk more with you next week. Have a great one, guys. You too. Again, it's uh, Robert B. Heck, president of Countywide Mortgage Lending. You can also call me on the cell phone, 760 760- 443 Four four three three eight two one again. That's seven six zero four four three three eight two one. And, and just a reminder here: Countywide Mortgage Lending is a division of Golden Empire Mortgage Inc. NMLS number one one zero four five eight five, licensed by the Department of Financial Protection Innovation under the California Residential Mortgage Lending Act. Countywide Mortgage Lending is an equal house lending excuse me, Equal House lender and proud member of the BBB. All right. Well, Chase, I think you said uh, we're also going to look at uh, Tilray. 
That's right, Tilbury yeah. Brand. Tilbury Brand, and 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 I, I'm going to let you give some of the information that was very shocking to people. But uh, the reason we saw this was I, I I noticed something that the CEO Erwin Simmons was buying the slumping stock. Well, I wanted to dig a little bit deeper to see how much he bought. Uh, on January 12th, uh, he bought 53,700 shares for $101,000. Now, maybe he doesn't make a whole lot of money, but that's not very much. Usually CEOs buying you know, million dollars, million I'm plus. sorry, you said how much? $101,000. And it made the Wall Street Journal. Wow. <laughs> so, but, but we'll look at the numbers because this is one uh, that is just you know supposed to do phenomenal. Uh, obviously, it deals with cannabis, but let's look at the numbers of Tilray, uh, which is in the drug manufacturing specialty and generic industry. Didn't know where they would classify them. That's where they do. Uh, there is about sixteen and a half percent short on the stock. Uh, wow, only thirteen point seven percent is institutional owned. That's I mean there's a lot of individuals that hold this stock. I'm very curious what they paid for it. Uh, they do not have a PE ratio. They have no earnings over the last twelve months. Price to sales one point eight versus one point nine. Price of tangible book value is 3.5. The industry is 44.9, so that is a deal. There is no price of cash flow, no forward peg ratio, uh, very risky based on the valuations. They have no earnings, so no earnings growth. This is something that people thought was just gonna grow dramatically. Well, the sales over the last year, I mean, they're not bad. I mean, they're 16.3%, which is pretty good for normal companies, but not for a company like this. The industry was down 3.2. Now. Here's a positive. They do have a five-year growth rate on the estimated earnings of 37%, well above 6.5%. So the analysts do think over five years, this could see some earnings grow. They do not pay a dividend. Let's take a look at the balance sheet. Current ratio, 1.6 versus 2.5. Debt to equity, only 0.2 versus 0.7. Net profit margin, this is not good, a negative 204% versus a negative 0.6%. Return on equity, a negative 42.5 versus a positive 8.3. I mean, uh, unless you got some great news on the earnings going forward, Chase, I, uh, I I just can't get too excited about this. Well, I'm, I'm going to start with the price action on Tilray first. Just It, it is a one of the stories that we tell of, of why we avoid these risky stocks. And again, Tilray Brands, ticker symbol is T-L-R-Y. Current price here is $1.88. 52-week low, $1.50, and the 52-week high is $3.40. Now, that doesn't sound that crazy, but you got to go back longer to see the craziness <laughs> of the stock. And I, I remember, yeah, back in 2018, everybody was all excited about cannabis and how great it was going to be in terms of its legalization and the earnings growth. Gosh, it looks like back in 2018, just looking at a graph here, it looks like it peaked out around, I think it's 170 ish dollars a share is what the graph appears. Oh, wow. So again, it's $1.88. It's not $1.88. <laughs> 188 it's a dollar 88 versus 170 dollars a share back in 2018 and it's kind of funny too i was looking at the chart and you know it it crashed in 2020 um and i think it fell to like four dollars a share or something and then it went all the way back up to like 30 dollars a share back in 2021 and now again and people are like oh okay no this is it this is my opportunity and crash all the way back down again. And there must be a lot of shares outstanding. The market cap appears to be $1.4 billion. I was shocked by that. Yeah. I mean, that that is a decent-sized market cap considering a, a share price of $1.88. Yeah, and, and and I guess that would, just very simple math, uh, it was a dollar per share. 
that'd be what 1.4 billion shares about two so you got about what 700 million shares i mean it, it's just I, i'm surprised that market cap is so high i'm trying to justify it somehow yeah and, and i mean frankly you can't really justify it with the earnings because i go out to may 2025 the company is still estimated to lose 12 cents per share and you know as i said 2018 was kind of the the hype of this mm-hmm. industry now we're essentially six years later and they're still not making money you know, Jason, when this was at the hype and people said, oh, you guys, you're going to miss it and so forth. And what we said, we, we couldn't understand it because one thing for us that we like to look at is a company has some type of a moat where, where you've got something special. I, I forget, maybe you remember, but people can grow a certain amount of their own marijuana. Do you know what that number is? Four pounds? Gosh, you're making me sound like I smock, well, sm- <laughs> smoke, smoke pot. Maybe you do smoke. <laughs> yeah, maybe smoke pot over here. No, I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not a cannabis user. Not that there's anything wrong with it, but I don't use cannabis. But I do know people can. Can't grow it at home. Is it two or three plants or something? <laughs> yeah, I, I, it's I, I, something. Yeah. But, but but the point being, you you can't go out and you can't produce, uh, you know, Mars candy bar. You can't produce, you know, a burrito. I mean, you, you can't produce your. You could. you could try and produce your own alcohol. Just doesn't taste very yeah, good. That's you a good know, example. Unless you're good at it. But I mean, the other thing that I see as a big problem with it is I think a, the federal government kind of wanted to try and step in as they tax alcohol so drastically. Oh, they yeah. came in and tried to, I think, tax this. And I think it's really pushed um, what was the illicit market and said, oh, no, I'm, I'm still going to use my, my drug dealer because, you know, it's cheaper. Cheaper. And uh, I, I haven't looked at the studies on this in quite a bit, but I think the illicit market is still doing quite well for cannabis as you know, as of the last, gosh, I think the last time we looked at Tilbury was probably a couple of years ago. So I, I don't know if things have changed, but back then, the illicit market was doing great for cannabis. And I could be wrong on this, but I believe that they put taxes on it that when your tax, it's not like a normal sales tax. I believe the tax is approaching 10% when you're buying cannabis when you go to these special stores that you see all over the place. And we've looked at some of those stores. I mean, what was it? Uh, it was an, one that we looked at. Um, Oh, oh, mankind! Mankind, yeah. yes, and and they were like, I remember saying, "Gosh, they had so much debt; they had no, not much cash flow. Uh, they're not doing well." And it's because I think you said, "Like, well, why am I going to pay ten percent and plus a markup on this when my my buddy grows it and he just sells it to me?" And you know. well, and I know conceptually, people's thoughts were, "Well, you know." I- Back before it was legal, a lot of people still smoked it. (laughs) And so it's like, well, now this is going to be legalized, so now you can actually make money off of it. But I think the problem was the the illegal market, so to speak, was already so large that you weren't able to really capture a new audience. Right. And people were saying, well, I can already get it over here or I can grow it on my own. Why am I going to pay all these taxes? It just doesn't make much sense to me. And not to mention the competition, it's... It's so easy to get into. I mean, you know, you can, as long as you have some land, you have some, you know, lights and, you know, I don't know the science behind it, but it's not like there's a huge moat to get into growing marijuana is the problem that I see. Yeah. So, I mean, it it does have high growth rates from the analysts going ahead five years. I don't see how they would accomplish that. Well, I mean, Um, you're growing from negative 21 cents on (laughs) earnings. So if you go up, you're getting some earnings growth. But I still don't see. Or if your loss is smaller. I still don't see how they make profits when the illicit market just seems to be, and and, and they're not getting a, so you can sell marijuana. You can, what, go in a store and steal $1,000 and not going to arrest you. Uh, They're not going to arrest these these people that are selling, you know, pot to their friends and, you know, unless there's some big drug dealer, but on the, the guy in the corner, we'll call it, doing you know, 50 pound, $50 bags, what I don't even know. I don't even know what it costs <laughs> for it, but I mean, they're not going to arrest those people. The, 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 that market will stay there. So how, why would you go to, you know, 
pay uh, on a commercial price. Yeah, I, I, I just, I still don't see the the case yeah. for investing in this company, and it, don't invest in it just because it's 170 an ounce at a dollar 88. That's not, that's never a reason to buy a stock. No, no, no. So, oh, closing bell just comes too quickly. All right, well, there's Frank Sinatra. Is that Frank Sinatra? Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it is. It's different. Game and different. Uh, thank you for listening to Smart Investing Show. It is for informational purpose only and should not be used as investment advice. If you'd like to discuss in more detail your investment needs, have other investment questions, feel free to call myself Brent Wilsey or Chase Willis- Wilsey at 858-224-0004. Again, that's 858-224-0004. Or visit the website smartinvesting2000.com. You can listen to the, web- the podcast there as well smartinvesting2000.com and be sure to sign up for the web, for the uh, workshop at the website February 8th at 6 o'clock at Scripps Ranch. Thanks for listening. We'll talk more next week. And may I say-